Happy Monday and welcome to the Religious Trauma Podcast. Um, We are here to talk about trauma, religion, all the fun stuff, you know. Um, I titled my podcast, this is my first podcast for this uh, subject matter. And the title of, I think, the show I'm going to be putting on, whether I think I'm going to probably do YouTube and, you know, do some videos and do some podcasts and stuff, but it's going to be called Metanoia. Metanoia is a Greek word meaning change of thinking or change of thoughts. Um, It's where we uh, derive the English word repent from. It's transliterated from ancient Koine Greek, um, the language. Uh, Metanoia is a word from that language, and that word meta means to change, and noia is the thinking, the thought. So, when we read in the New Testament the word repent, we're going to find um, that it means a change of thinking. And so that's the fun part about using the word metanoia as an introduction because um, I'm going to be pointing out stuff like this where um, we read in uh, the Bible or you can read in different books, ancient books that um, are um, not just relics but actually have uh, content about God, history, life, uh, meaning, purpose. You have all these books and um, and how important they are to understand them properly before um, coming to conclusions or making judgments or associating yourself with particular religions or denominations of religions. And so my goal isn't to convert you. My goal is not to Um, beg you to believe. My goal is not to coerce you into believing any specific thing. At the end of the day, it's just a search for truth. It's a search for balancing good mental health and incorporating uh, your religious practice into your life. I find it valuable that somebody on this planet should specialize in this, so I want to do it, and I want to do it for all of humanity um, even religions may, that I may not believe in, I still want to have those conversations and maybe help people understand the overarching themes of religion and help them live a life that is of intrinsic value in spite of or an alternative of the thinking or the ideologies that they've received from regurgitated information. A lot of people in Christendom and I think even other religions are very much living off regurgitated information. It's information that was chewed up uh, by one person, a person ingested it and took in that information and knowledge, applied it to their life. It, it, It gave them some semblance of peace, happiness, prosperity, and then in turn, Uh, A person looks at that person's life, they see value in how they're living, so they turn to these people as people they trust, they hear their words, they take their words, and their words become repeated, Um, but it's not a personal revelation, it's not a personal illumination of the knowledge itself, so this is very important, I think, to talk about religious trauma, that's why I'm doing a podcast about it. Um, It's not necessarily to just espouse my Christian beliefs, but I think I'm going to use my Christianity as a way to kind of pick apart uh, how to deal with bad mental health and then also um, how to deal with your faith when it intermingles 
with bad mental health. And it also, when your human nature, um, whatever proclivities you believe are your proclivities, meaning the things you you are, feel that are natural to you, um, and helping understand those natural proclivities against the standards of religion, because th those are the real challenges, um, even from a secular point of view, like somebody who lives in the world, who doesn't participate in religion at all, maybe who's an atheist, materialist, like kind of personality, I think that kind of personality could also even find benefit from listening to this because you can see uh, the perspective of believers and, and that there is value in incorporating religion into your life. Um, yeah, so I know I kind of uh, went a little bit on a rampage there, but nonetheless, my goal is to help people separate those things, is to have the element of how you live your life, um, what your faith is, and then also how you deal with suffering and the result of suffering being, you know, some of the traumas that come from bad religious experiences. Some of us have suffered from um, suffered through bad religious experiences because the people that are teaching us or are, are, are people that are uh, involving themselves into our lives or we're letting them involve themselves in our lives don't have maybe the full scope of their religion or uh, a full understanding of their truth to even lead you sometimes in a direction that is uh, prosperous or, 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 or happy and into happiness or where you reach a certain level of success in spite of yourself, in spite of like the struggles you go through on a daily basis. So how do you rectify that? You sin, you make a mistake. There's a God, he has a standard, you fell him. How does that feel? A lot of shame, a lot of guilt, especially if you believe it, especially if you've um, kind of been um, maybe raised in it. There is standards. There is a sanctification process in which a person um, can go from who they are right now to who God wants them to be, right? And I, and I, that's actually probably a common theme of most all religion is there's religions. There's a process in which a person develops past their current self uh, uh, with all their mistakes, with all their failures, right? And they, and they, they, they become more, you know. So we've seen this in the world, and so we we know that there is positive results to religion, but we also know there's negative results to religion. And depending on what the input is, right, determines the output. But also understanding the mechanism is important. So if you if you think about the system and the gears and the pins and the wheels and how they work together and, uh, uh, and what you put into that system and then what comes out of it. So those are elements I want to talk about today. Um, Today, I also want to mention a little bit about the unstoppable force uh, meeting the immovable object, you know, and, and what is that? And I think that's a good, um, I would say, metaphor or analogy uh, about um, our current struggle with God, religion, ourselves, and our own shame for not being everything we could. So now... There's not really a good place to start with this outside of the fact that um, we can start from our side, humans, with our nature, or we can start from the infinite, God looking down, right? The bird's eye view, seeing the whole world, seeing uh, life itself looking down, um, 
and understanding there's an infinite and then there's a finite, right? There's a the, the chaos, that we, the thing we don't understand, and then there's the things we do understand. Um, you know, so there's a basis there. Um, it's very difficult to choose where to start because um, obviously you want to start with God if you're a religious person, right? But also on the same time, it's like you only know yourself. So it's, it's sometimes even uh, natural for us to want to start with our human experience because it's all we really know. Uh, no human being has a, a filing cabinet of infinite knowledge in their brain that they can just pull any information they need to communicate an argument, a thought, a belief. So with that being said, um, I'm just going to start with human nature. Um, there's a paradox of existence, and I call this a paradox of existence because um, you see weird things. And I'll, I can reference the Bible, so I'll reference the Bible, um, specifically the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You know, we've heard about this for a long time, and, and to some people it's a folk story. For some people it's history. Um, you know, even maybe from a Jewish perspective, you know, I, I, I was reading the Jewish study Bible and I noticed that even some of the scholars in there don't really take the 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 new the Old Testament like the the Torah. They don't take it so literal. They take it as this very altruistic plane in which these things occurred, and they did occur, but they didn't occur in the reality of the millions of years and the dinosaurs that we currently live in. So there's this there's 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 separations of that you know of of what it means when it talks about like God and in the beginning. And so there's this paradox of what? A tree having knowledge. Wait a minute. Doesn't make sense, right? How can a tree have knowledge? How can an inanimate object, or some would say it's, uh, you know, some say it's not, but um, depending on what you believe, it's, a, it's an object. It doesn't move. It does grow. Yes, it does have life. Uh, it has an essence of life. So you have a tree, but a tree doesn't compute knowledge the way we understand that we 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 can't take knowledge from a tree the way we we operate today. Today we read a book, we uh, we we take in information, we hear words, we hear them articulated in a way, and somehow our brain understands, and it's an agreed thing. And so we take in knowledge. But there, in the beginning, there was a tree of life as well. So there was life in a tree. Literal life and then literal knowledge in a tree. So they eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And from that point, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. Uh, the age-old story, they sinned, they disobeyed God. Uh, he told them not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I'm not sure if you heard this story. If you hadn't, if you haven't, um, feel free to go to um, the book of Genesis and start with the first chapter and read the first, I would say, five or six chapters. to give you a good idea. Um, you can just read the first three or four, but... Um, it'll give you a good idea of this story. So um, you have that, this paradox, and man eats from the paradox itself. And here's what's attached to the paradox is, is the, the paradoxical tree that has knowledge in it. It's knowledge of good and of evil. It tells us what it is, that it makes man conscious. It's going to make man, in turn, make man aware of what is good and what is bad. Now, this seems to be a tragedy because man, before that fall, within the context of this story, is immortal. And for some reason, the knowledge of good and evil brings 
immortal immortality to its knees in essence for man and god allowed this to be a part of the design in this story because it's obviously from the perspective of a person who is kind of narrating what happened with god right so in the story you see there's god adam and eve and they eat from the tree and they become aware of good and bad and they cover themselves or they, they end up being covered because they feel ashamed that they're naked. You know, it was a natural inclination. They had what we would understand as biology. Their biology was to be ashamed of their nakedness. Their biology changed with the knowledge of good and evil. And so here's a pivotal point that maybe just maybe knowledge of good and evil is biologically affecting mankind it biologically affects us to the point where an immortal an immortal being begins to die begins a dying process goes from living to dying so there is an introduction here of what we understand to be law and i don't mean law as in like law and order you know the tv show that people watch i'm talking about law of um law of moses Ten Commandments law, okay? So that's the knowledge of good and evil. Thou shalt not and thou shalt. Thou should do this. You should do these things and you shouldn't do these things, right? That's the law. It's considered the law, the Torah. And the Torah is so interesting because what it does is it tells man exactly how he should live. You know, specifically the Jews. So the Jews come from Judaism. The word Judaism comes from uh, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes come from Jacob, who had his name changed to Israel by, by God. Jacob's father is Isaac. Isaac's father is Abraham. If you're of uh, an Islamic um, belief, what you're going to find is that it's Ishmael, it's Abraham, it's Ishmael, and then it's Esau. So then uh, Ishmael has a son, Kadar. Kadar, you know, breaks into what, um, you know, Muslims believe is, is how their lineage, you know, begins to unfold and how their people are, are kind of brought to a primacy in the world, you know, through the Ottoman Empire, right? From Kadar all the way to the Ottoman Empire through now. Um, now, having said that... Um, that's why the elements of, of law don't come until Moses. So it's after, all, it's after all these characters. So Moses comes after. Ten Commandments comes after all the stories of Genesis. Ten Commandments comes. Uh, um, and then even the Muslims, their law comes much after Jesus Christ. So now, giving that perspective is that Judaism, Islam, Christianity all have a very practical basis. Majority of the people in the world fall into one of these three religions. Um, there's a very small group that's um, truly atheistic. Um, and then there's the folklore, you know, folks who believe in uh, a different folklore, like mythology and things like that. And then there's, um, you know, you got Hindus, Buddhists, you know, a lot of the Zoroastrianism, you know, you got all these religions, claims of um uh, of being the oldest, right? But they all have a very common theme. They all have a law. 
they all have law involved in them, a very legal process in which a person can become righteous or good or, or uh, admirable or noble. And I put a bunch of words there so you can kind of, you know, uh, uh, play with what I mean as far as like what a good person is. A good person, good is kind of overused, so it's really hard to find a, a good word to describe what this law is meant to do is to bring a person to nobility and in turn, and if you decide not to be noble, here are the consequences for the lack of nobility or the malevolence, the evil that you willfully want to do in spite of knowing the law. And so a Christian uh, uh, belief comes from the, the Apostle Paul, whose name was Saul. Um, he was a in line probably to become a Pharisee. Nobody really knows. He might have had a wife. Nobody really knows. Just some of his verbiage kind of gives it away a little bit, but uh, he might have been a widow, which uh, which explains his understanding of kind of marriage and things like that. But also, we don't want to take away from the belief that it is inspired by God. So it's not here to 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 say where it comes from. But he he had a lot of wisdom, you know, whether it was through his practical uh, human experience, um, uh, taking his human experience and and demonstrating it or, or speaking it in a practical way where people could understand it. But he basically uh, penned something in, uh, I think, one of the, the book of Corinthians, where he talks about the, the, the willingness to do good, but the ability to do it falls short. And where the, willing, the, the, the refraining from doing bad, he has in his heart, but he can't stop himself from doing the bad. And that it's the law that fueled this in him. It's the law that made his faith void. It's the law that was the strength of sin. Uh, that's what some of the, the New Testament verbiage comes down to is saying that the law itself, and, what's, and he's referring to, he's a Hebrew, so he's referring to the Torah, is in itself death. It's the, it's the ministry of condemnation because no person on the planet can complete the law of God under the Judeo-Christian Islamic perspective. I'm not sure exactly that Muslims believe this per se, but I know they believe that they're they're fallible, that their truth is infallible, but they are, as human beings, fallible as well. So that means that there is a standard, there's a holiness, and that's kind of where the Sharia law comes in, right? It's the standard. It's the, it's the height of human existence as far as nobility. And man's ability to try to actually execute doing that law um becomes man's detriment. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil all over again. Even if you just take the story of the tree of knowledge of good and evil as an archetype, you're basically taking that story as an archetype and you can see it played out through every religion. It is the knowledge of good and evil that actually makes man, quote unquote, sinful because the, the knowledge of good and evil just represents the law. It's a standard, right? You don't even have to have a religion, but let's just say you, you make your own rules, your Ten Commandments, right? You have your Ten Commandments of how you think you should live. Let's say those are your values. When you come short of those values, that's a religion unto itself. But this is the problem. You created those values. The difference with religion is its position that God created those values or a prophet or a guru or someone who has um, spent time, you know, with self-mastery. And so 
self-mastery, actually just mentioning that, seems to be the main point of almost all religions, right? And I think the one place where it's different is Christianity because Christianity does something. And I want to point this out specifically because I don't really see this in any other religion. This is definitely unique to Christianity where the paradox, like the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the paradox exists, but in multiple facets. You have it where the earth and information are fused together, right? Trees, knowledge. You don't get knowledge from a tree, but for some reason with God, you can get life or knowledge from a tree. Now, Adam and Eve were kicked out. Knowledge is separated from the tree. Now man lives under a governance, a government of what? Sowing and reaping, where man has to toil the ground. That's the curse. Woman has to, uh, in order to give birth to something, right? Uh, a woman has to go through pain. So there's a pain, there's a suffering uh, that comes with joy. So it creates a very tangled paradox for human existence where mankind has an insatiable desire for things, for pleasures, for the physicality, for the physic, for the for the senses. It wants to please the senses of the body, and it's insati it's insatiable. It's not satisfiable. But then they're they're also given a spirit that is satiable, and the only satiable, the only thing that actually uh, fulfills that spirit is the the role of god so this is interesting because um if the spirit's satiable but the flesh is in is unsatiable um it creates a conundrum of existence for man but it also creates a balance because when the flesh is completely unsatiable and it's in prominence as far as like how you're choosing to live your life your spirit will go starving and tell you, no, do better. No, do better. It's fighting against the relentless pull to do what only feels good in your body. Okay? And then the flesh, when the spirit is satisfied, what it does is it, try to, it tries to usurp the, the, the flesh. And this is a Christian term. And the flesh just means the human nature will try to usurp the spirit. And I'm differentiating so that if you're listening, you at least can understand like where I'm coming from. Um, that way it's not just, okay, I'm, I'm just speaking to a Christian audience. I'm speaking to everybody, every human being right now. Um, whether you believe in a story or not, this might at least allow you to have some kind of expanded idea on um, where you stand with religion. And then its purpose, maybe you leave this conversation uh, understanding that it has a purpose in your life. Maybe you leave it understanding that it did have a purpose and it no longer does. And maybe you leave, Mike, I don't have a specific goal. I'm not trying to convert you. Um, if I know you personally and I invite you to church or something like that, or if I have a Bible study with you, that's different, right? Um, this right here is specifically for research, to understand, to think and sometimes you do need to talk to actually put your understanding together. Like for me, talking like this helps me understand it better as well. So, because um, I'm not coming from a place of knowing. This is just 
thinking out loud using uh, uh, some of the literature I've read throughout my life and uh, the experiences I've had as a pastor, as a minister in the past. I'm no longer one right now. Um, who knows what God might have for me in the future, but nonetheless, I want to speak from uh, uh, just a very uh, holistic perspective of acknowledging everything, you know, because even even in the even in the Bible, the Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. See, I think this is a, a very much an underlying principle of, of God, what God gave to mankind, if you're a believer. And that is that as a man thinks and then he connects his emotions, he becomes. So this is an acknowledgement, not just for good things, not just for, okay, like, you know, put good things in your thinking and then you know, connect that with your emotions and then watch the flow of good actions, right? No, this is also for like, if you're if you're thinking criminal and you start connecting your emotions with it and you're sad and you're sad about being broke and you know a way to get money the wrong way, you connect the emotions, then actions flow from the thinking that you connect with the emotions. Sometimes it doesn't even connect with the emotions. Because you're already living in, a, in, in that state of being where you just act according to what you think is right um, from your own standards, you know. But anywho, it's all law. It's all law. And so the paradox here is that you have the unstoppable force of the flesh meeting the immovable object of law. Okay. Law wins every time. Therefore, when man fails, what's his natural response to failing his own value system or the value system of the Bible or the value system of Islam? What happens? A man hurts. And then a man hurts again and again, every failure. And then a man becomes desensitized to that experience of what some would call conviction, what some would call guilt, what some would call shame. We know this from a psychological perspective that guilt does perpetuate bad habits, especially that deep guilt, that religious guilt. That's why they say um, the strength of sin, of, of failing God morally, is the law. Is the more law, the more conscious of the law you are, the more likely you are to fail the law because think about the story of adam and eve before the the for eating from the tree everything was supplied it was a full supply they didn't need to fend fight for food they didn't need to even if you take the story apart like and you take the religion out of it it's an insane story to explain the human psyche the human condition and whether you believe that's the reason or not i personally do i personally believe that story was true is that important not necessarily but in this conversation if you just take the story man is in this really terrible place of being of, of suffering with an unstoppable force an unstoppable force in the form of a condition where they begin to die from it. So 
the reality here is that law is demand. If you are very focused on law, you're focused on what God demands. And then the the thing I think about with Jesus is separate from most religions is that uh, he pays that demand. The law demands a perfect man. Jesus is the perfect man. He pays the consequence for that. And therefore, this is what true Christianity is about. If you believe in Christianity, this is for you. It's like, this is what true Christianity is about, is that receiving grace where you didn't deserve it, and then him receiving judgment, Jesus himself receiving judgment for where he didn't deserve it. So he flips the sowing and reaping system on its head, and what he sowed, we reap, and what we sow, he reaps. Isn't that kind of interesting? And then God is giving back to you what more on top of it, as if you are Jesus. If you have faith in Jesus, it's like you're associating yourself with that payment. It's like having that like legal, um, like, you know, all the employees of a company, one person sues the company, but then everyone in the company kind of benefits from it. They get a check, something like that, but obviously much more transcendent. So, it's this willful receiving of this fulfillment of God's law on your behalf. It takes humility, and that humility in itself is transformative to a person, in essence, where they would become more moral or inclined to do the things that would please God in turn, not a requirement for receiving it. But truly receiving it is impactful to the point where it, it it enters your thinking, it mixes with your heart. And then when it does that, you become Christ to the world. You become the reflection of him to the world byproduct, like the same way you you nurture a tree, right? You you nurture, you water it, the sun, uh, you make sure it's good. You, you put a stick when it's small to make sure it doesn't, you know, till or bend. And then you nurture the tree and it grows, right? Um, you don't just say tree grow. There's a process to it, you know, and then it bears fruit. And even in the Bible, it does compare us to like uh, 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 grapevines where we are um, we are the, the, the branches and then he's the vine. He's the lifeline that produces the fruit. We're just the shell in which the lifeline is carried through. So um, and that's what it means to abide in, in God from a Christian perspective. So. Um, I know I talk a lot from a Christian perspective, but I think it's helpful. Um, and, and this is not to convert you to Christianity because I understand um, I'm very self-aware how this could sound. Because when you when you get into, uh, you know, saying what's different about Christianity and then kind of saying it in a positive note, it definitely reflects a uh, a a uh, like that I have. That's my choice. That sh- it shows my um what I believe, right, more than, and it's not exactly fair. Um, I'm, unfortunately, I can only go off the things I do know to be able to speak on this. So I'm using my personal belief system to help demonstrate something. And I, and I think this isn't necessarily about um, convincing you that Christianity is the right way. Um, it's not at all about that. It's just to help educate you about 
how this stuff works and not just to educate you, but for me to be curious with you and educate myself by helping, um, by correlating these thoughts and bringing it all together and acknowledging different religions and different things, you know, like uh, I'll even acknowledge this, like Buddhism, you know, the idea of transcending to a point of where, where, where you reach a, um, a state of being where you realize a realization and illumination that you're one with the earth. You're one with the world. The tree is me and I'm the tree. You are me. I'm you. And it's crazy because it's the same thing with Christianity and Jesus being in us, right? I'm Christ. You're Christ. You know, and we even, I remember even being young, there was jokes like, you know, my name is Angel Christ Sanchez, you know, cause you know, that's my name now. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a son of God. And it's the association with that payment. So in that association with that payment is, is in the book itself. Uh, uh, it tells you what the result of that is, is that you'll live a prosperous life. A prosperous life from a Hebrew perspective is not necessarily just money. It's it's goodness, wellness, wholeness. It's it's all when they say shalom, like 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 you're greeted by a, a, a Jewish brother and, and he says, Shalom, it's, it's peace, wholeness, wellness, goodness. It's, uh, and, and prosperity is much the same in, in essence of, it actually paints this picture of being on a good road, you know, not just that you have money, but that you're on a good path. You're going somewhere. So now you have law and you have man. So man, think about two puzzle pieces. You have man in the middle, okay? Or three puzzle pieces. You have man in the middle, and then you add the law on top, and it fits perfectly. The the puzzle piece that you attach to man on top of man is law. And the law perfectly fits mankind's issues, if that makes sense. Man's void, man's problem, or not void, man's um like if 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 mankind was a had a had a a trigger system that would end the world right or a trigger system that would blow them up like like a kamikaze like a suicide and they could press a button this would be it this is legalism is taking the standard and then doing just enough in that standard to meet the standard to not be punished or to try to earn favor so it measures what um some would call holiness or righteousness or goodness the law the law measures that and then it pins it against man and man has no ability to achieve it (laughs) so you see the conundrum man has it's a perfect problem for man to have that's unsolvable it's an unsolvable problem Standards of good versus man's ability to achieve them, complete disaster, right? Um, and, and you could look at it like the puzzle piece doesn't fit. That's a good analogy, right? But you could also look at it, the puzzle piece does fit. And it fits. The, the, but the thing is, it doesn't complete the picture. It's what, why I say it fits is because it doesn't complete the picture. What completes the picture is a an, an extra puzzle piece. I, this is what I believe. 
this is a personal belief, is that God's supply of ability to do what is good. And for Christians, that's through Jesus Christ. For uh, Muslims, that's through the law, they're, they're, the law that they that they hold true. And a lot of that is mixed. You know, the Judeo-Christian Islamic uh, 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 centerpiece of morality are pretty much across the line. A, a lot of nuances, a lot of nuances. But as far as what, what is deemed right and wrong in those religions, pretty much clear, right? So... You can you can even sum three religions up um, into into that experience, which it doesn't do the religions justice in any way, but it can give you an idea of how to see things from a better perspective. So, when you bring an element of mercy, now God has mercy. That's God withholding His wrath from the judgment you deserve. Now that's that's um, that's a true religion definition of mercy. Is the withholding of, 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 of judgment, right? So it doesn't give you any good. In Christianity, the concept of grace is different from mercy, where it's the provision of good without earning it, without the accomplishment of good, which is why in Christianity, Jesus executes the law on, the beha on behalf of all, all humans in the world. It's supposed to be a universalism in a sense where all human beings have access to this goodness, to be able to receive good from God in spite of their failures. No other religion has a justification system like this. And then this is where you hear those the, the Christians uh, in one corner arguing, well, if you, know, you have sloppy grace or you have this and that, because this idea that... Um, no matter how bad you are, God will still bless you, you know? And so that's an issue in itself. That becomes a whole issue. But um, from a biblical perspective, that actually is created by legalistic minds. Because what ends up happening is legalistic minds are the ones who are looking at your lifestyle, measuring to see if you fit God's standards when they should be looking internally. Nonetheless, man does this, so, th so then men look at you, and then you feel the hate of man, and it discourages you, and you falter away from your faith, right? Or you double down, and you become more aggressive and zealous. So it's, 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 it's a conundrum. So when you understand our own human condition in itself, mixed up with religion, and religion in itself, religion is uh, is from the root word to bind. And, and in some sense, it's a vow, right? It's a commitment. It's a it's a binding, a, a bond. You're you're held to it. But in turn, how how perfect is it that religion in in the modern world, the evil that it has become to some people is known as bondage, is known as a form of holding you back religion is what's holding you back from your full potential in life and in this world and from having success and and and, and that's looked from a secular perspective that's how it's looked at right and even some spiritual folks see it that way um because you know some of the most you know some some christian uh poet i remember i uh, forget he he went and did a poem about hating religion and it's like well 
technically like you're in a religion, right? And you're, uh, no, it's a relationship. Nobody gets what that means. Is that it's supposed to mean that I have a, I have a relationship with God. I'm not going to be held to the, the standards of this particular denomination or this organization, organizational structure, uh, especially in cases where I feel like it violates um, the books or the book that I read, whatever book that is for you. For me, it's the Bible. So it's it's this becomes a paradox, right? So um, it's a disaster. It is. It is. Um, I think, let's see. You know, I can go through the sowing and reaping thing again, but that's kind of, I feel like, redundant. You know, where the seed of um, a bad seed produces a bad tree, a good seed produces a good tree. The person who sowed the bad seed gets a good tree, and the person who sowed good seed gets the bad tree, which is a reference to Jesus dying on the cross, right? So um, that's a unique element of Christianity that I say flips the natural laws of the world of sowing and reaping on its head and kind of uses them against itself, which is, which is, I mean, even just without take, take the religious lens off for a second and understand that's pretty cool. Like that's a pretty cool concept. Who came up with that? Obviously like, you know, God, from my perspective, it's God. It comes up with like crazy ideas like that. But it's a perfect solution because the natural solution is that we tell man work harder to achieve the height of morality. And what faith is, is depend more on God for the strength to be the most noblest, best version of yourself you could be on this planet, right? It's a provision for it. It's a help. It's a divine help um, to be more than you are. And I think that's that's really our our struggle, right? I mean, if you look at it from from Adam, it's it's to be more. Their desire was to be more than they were, and in turn, they became less than what they were. You see what I'm saying? And then the problem still is to be more than what you are. Like like you have three major religions in the world that base their they're, they're beginnings off of this story. Like, think about it. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Um, and whether or not you take it allegorically or you take it literally, um, uh, it, it's unfortunate that some religions will, even to teeter with that idea, and I think it's appropriate to teeter with that idea because you have to be curious, right? So you have to, being curious means you have to take in uh, things into consideration, before making a proper or um, sound judgment. So I think it's appropriate to see it allegorically, to see it literally, to see it historically, to see it geographically, to see it, uh, to see the archaeology if you can. So just understand it. Your existence is a conundrum and that's the point I'm trying to make is your existence is a conundrum of karmic resolve or karmic result, not resolve. I'm talking about. 
karma. You do good, you get bad. I mean, you do good, you get good. You can go up in the caste system, you know, in Hinduism, astrology. You can transcend and you can you can get out of the cycle. You can be reborn and etc. right? It's very much a reward system. Islam. I, I do this and, and, and Allah will bless me when I meet him in paradise, you know, for the good I do here. Jewish, you know, you have the, the, uh, it's like a mitzvah, no, um, not mikvah, mikvah's baptisms, um, Judaism, man, it's so fleeting. But in Judaism, it's the the good deeds you do, right? That that give you that give you favor with God, and the bad that you do gives you no favor, right? Um, it's kind of interesting. I'm just gonna point this out. Um, I, I'll leave this alone. No worries. Never mind. Um, it's too much of a can of worms. But um, Christianity, you know. Be like Jesus. It's the worst thing you can tell somebody, actually, if you didn't. If you didn't, if you didn't, let me put it to you this way. One of the worst things I think you can tell a human being is to go imitate Christ. And you'd be like, but the Bible says that. It doesn't. If you, if you transliterate the Greek words of imitate, imitate is a poor translation a poor understanding of what it means to become like Christ. To become like Christ is different than to tell someone to be like Christ. There's a concept of, in Corinthians, uh, Second Corinthians, I think chapter three, um, where there's a mirror that you you look into. In the mirror, in the mirror, it doesn't show you yourself; it shows you Jesus, and that's supposed to represent that. When you see Jesus in his beauty, right, when you see his acts, when you see how he is as a person, his temperament, that in turn is a mirror. And that seeing that, seeing him will change you into that image. It'll transform you. It'll help you transcend yourself. So it's, it's, it's. In Christianity, they've made it about being like Jesus, but it's one of the worst things you can tell people because, think about it, I put Ten Commandments on a pedestal. Let's just say I do that. Say I put my Ten Commandments on a pedestal. And then Jesus comes on the earth and says, well, even if you think about it, it's a sin. (laughs) You know, it's like... The great equalizer, right? Like, not only if you do wrong, if you think it. Oh, my goodness. It's the impossibility. It's the great humbler of all mankind, right? Even if you think about it, you've you've basically done it. You've murdered. You've stolen someone's wife. So... To say to be like Jesus is very much, I think, a misconception within Christianity. Um, But the idea that who Jesus is is the end result 
of my pursuing of God within this belief system, I think that's much more accurate to what Christians should be believing that would lead them to better actions that would in turn make the world keep spinning in a positive way, right? Now, I won't get into the whole uh, eschatology and the end times and all that stuff. That's not what this discussion is about. Maybe one day I'll get into that. But um, what makes it this difficult is that each religion has their own um, very much grounded truths about what's right and wrong to the point that living in a society can sometimes be the sin, living in a certain society, living in a certain world, you know, and I think especially with with Islam, it's easy um, to judge them. But from the outside, what I think what they're doing is protecting a lot of their um, their structure of religion and belief. You know, they, they want to protect it and they want to protect it from um, being tarnished by um, man's will, man's wants, man's sinfulness, man's propensity to fall and come short of God's standard. So um, that's done, I think, with a little more, um, I don't want to say extreme because that's a terrible word to use in association. If you really want to, you know, have a Muslim audience for anything you're saying, you 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 want to stay away from the the terminologies that um, demonize what they do, you know, and even Christians, I've met so many Christians that, you know, talk about um, Muslims having demon spirits and, and it's the spirit of the antichrist and this and that. And I mean, whether that's true or not is to be, is to be discovered. But the, the problem with the demonization is it creates a disconnection between someone's ability to actually make a, a friendship or a bridge. So, um, but I think what I'm saying is what, what's with, with how the Middle East is, it's more definitely, there's more um, focus on preserving um, the tradition to avoid it becoming impure to what was originally said in that religion's perspective. So same things uh, with the kosher, with lean Jews, you know, having things kosher. Um, Christians are probably one of the most free-flowing religions where people just really are all across the spectrum because there's no imminent, like, consequence outside of, like, excommunication. Um, We're just, it just seems Christians are a little bit more uh, accepting or tolerant to things that kind of go against their religion in a way. So I don't know if this is helpful. Hopefully it is, but um, consider it. Consider how that there's an there's a, the immovable object of the law. There's the unstoppable force of the human nature, and they are clashing at a war. And 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 the only thing that brings peace to the world is what brings peace to the individual. And so I think if we can kind of figure out how to individually come to peace with the war of our insatiable appetite for pleasure. And balance that with um, the immovable object of doing good. I think on a practical level, that's good mental health. Just without the religious part. So when there's a balance of that, I feel like that's a, that should be a good standard of mental health. Um, now, when there's the insatiable human nature, 
and there's no unstoppable force or there's a super unstoppable force, right? A hyper unstoppable force, uh, meaning that the laws are so complex and so and so and they take care of all the nuances, you know, that's what these laws are supposed to do is to take care of the principle and the nuance and the nuance should be able to fit within the guideline of the overlying principle. So I don't know. I don't know how that works for people. I don't know how that works for you. I, all I know is how that's worked for me. And it's been suffering dealing with this con- this human condition. I call it the human condition, but it's 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 hard. It's real hard. And I've lived without God and I've lived with God and I've lived without God again. And I've lived with God again. And that that's and 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 that's the the, the that's the exact amount of times that I've done it. Live without God started my life, became a believer, disassociated myself, and then now reintegrating. So reintegrating after experiencing my own depravity, my own uh, uh, insatiable appetite to do things that in the moment didn't feel wrong, but in the consequence, as far as like what the output is, were bad choices. So it's a paradox. And... I think that we can somehow live above this and help each other because it's, 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 here's where I get frustrated because if Christianity has a rules that you don't follow and if you don't follow them, you go to hell. Islam has rules. If you don't follow them, then you're infidel and and you're to be treated poorly in this life and in the next um the 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 christian is not supposed to treat people poorly who don't believe in what they believe but they do because of the legalism that's tied into it with stuff we just talked about it's the animosity of not the animosity that you feel from not pleasing god will be taken out on other people unfortunately because how many times in your life have you done somebody wrong, right? And that person, or like you, yourself, you'll get numb to it eventually. But that person may not get numb to you hurting them. And it's like, how do you make that right? And if you can't make it right, what do you do? If you can't get a good result or a reunification of relationship from the mistakes you've made, what do you do? It's chaos. It's unresolved issues that can lead to you making bad decisions or us making bad decisions. So I think the idea here is um, from for this is from my fellow believers in Christianity um, is to take grace. You know, a, a, a good step for your mental health is to is to forgive yourself. Number one, write down the things that you truly believe you've done wrong, set them on fire and forgive yourself. You know, uh, number one is forgive yourself, you know, and, and if you're not a Christian, I still suggest you forgive yourself for what you've done, um, because harboring it and trying to make yourself pay for it. Um, there's no end to that. There's no end because in turn. 
you fail one person, you'll try to pay, you can't pay. And the accumulation of that will make you into a bad person. A bad, guilty, nasty, dirty conscience will do and continue to do bad, dirty, nasty things that fit the conscience. Guilty people do guilty things. You know, uh, even uh, Brene Brown talks about people who believe that they are worthy of good oftentimes actually have more wholesome lives. People who believe they are not worthy of any good oftentimes find themselves in uh, depravity or in a darkness or in uh, an unhappiness that's unresolvable because the resolution isn't within the outside circumstances that they, they're trying to manipulate. It's within their own heart and their inability to process their own failures. So how we deal with our own failures, how religions deal with failures, I think is a big reason why there's a lot of ugly trauma um, in, 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 you know, I'm not too familiar with how Judaism deals with people, um, not, but, you know, of course, um, Israel, you know, out there in uh, actual Israel, um, they take care of their people, regardless if they're believers or not. So there's, um, there's interesting, <laughs> interesting thoughts there, you know what I mean? Um, but it's, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot. So hopefully this just expands some of your thoughts. Um, um, you know, I wouldn't say quote me or anything, but, um, I hope this is, uh, illuminating on some level, um, maybe to get you to think. Thank you guys. Welcome to the Metanoia podcast. Here's the first one. Hopefully I can get some people on soon, um, to, to kind of get uh, this going for you guys. Um, where we can integrate actual, like, real situations with um, some of this um, understanding of religion and God and uh, and the trauma that comes from um, bad religious experiences. Thank you. Bye. Today we are talking about God, and I'm really excited for this one. I I, I don't know, something about the concept of God is interesting to me, you know? You have different books throughout history that talk about gods, God, God himself, monotheism, monotheism, uh, monotheistic religions, even have, you know, polytheistic religions where there's multiple gods. And even in some of those, there's a, a supreme God over those gods. Or um, There's always this concept of God being the highest, you know, or the or, or in the Bible or the Torah, the almighty God, or the God almighty, or uh, God the most high, most high God, uh, most high God is, it, these are interesting concepts, why they said like that, right, so I, 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 I'm I, just excited to talk about this, because I actually um, came up with this concept called the game of God, and it's just a, it's just an exercise that I kind of started um, puzzling my way through, uh, I, I got a piece of paper and I, it was empty, it had no lines and I started trying to conceptualize God and you're asking why, why would you want to try to conceptualize God? And I'm, and I'm asking myself a different question than you might be asking me. I'm asking my, myself, why do I have a concept of God in the first place? Number one, where does that come from? And if a religion, if it comes from a religious like upbringing, 
I didn't have one to start my life, but I had some weird idea about God somewhere as a child. Um, the concept of God crept into my life. The concept of good and wrong uh, uh, kind of was a guiding force, this invisible guiding force of how I should live my life and what decisions I should make. And it it, it set me up to have a real, um, what felt like a proclivity towards believing in God, you know? And um, it's interesting to me. So, because... If there is a God, I'm a Christian, so I believe there's a God, but let's just go back a bit. Let's just, let's take myself back a little bit. Let's pull out of the the, the lens of what I know as far as what I believe for myself. And I can, I can do this. I feel like uh, um, an intellectual person, uh, um, maybe not just an intellectual, but a, a person who is conscientious has the ability to do this is like, take, take a step back and let's say, if there is a God, okay, and this is just for communication's sake. I'm not saying there isn't a God. Um, I believe in God personally. If you don't believe in God, that's fine. But conceptually, take a step back. If there is a God and he created the world, the universe, everything that's known to mankind, created everything, which is us. So we have we have us, we're made, you know. If you take a, a biblical perspective um, from the dust, and if you take a more scientific perspective, you're probably thinking that we've evolved, right? Um, regardless of those perspectives, let's say God created man. And God created man with what we know as a conscience or uh, an awareness of their own existence. You know, it's what kind of separates us from animals. We can... Uh, anticipate the future you know we we think about the future we actually think about the past a lot as well so we we sometimes can live in an awareness that's outside of the current moment which is very unique for a creature for a cre for a creation or for a uh 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 what's supposed to be an autom autonomous human being a, a self uh working autonomous creation we are the closest to that in our known existence, right? Now, God creates this autonomous creation. So in an essence, he is creating something maybe with the ability on a finite level. So there is some level, finite level to understand him and his infiniteness, but within the context of a finite understanding. So the, I believe there is a way to understand God, um, but it does take um, having some fun. And I don't mean like um, a, the kind of fun where it's like there's malevolence mixed in it. It's, it's not uh, a, an evil thing. You got to really take a, a you got to come from a pure perspective of just seeing things clearly and being able to move around within the framework of different thoughts and not judge the thoughts as maybe blasphemous. Because some of this stuff, I, I think a traditionalist would probably like take some of the stuff I want to talk about right now as a as a maybe blasphemy or something because I'm going to conceptualize God. It's not it's not that I'm going to actually conceptualize God.
I'm going to attempt to, and I'm going to just walk you guys through some of my thoughts about the concept of God. And here's the thing. It's like, this is a religious trauma podcast. So uh, what's the point of talking about this? Well, maybe how we see God creates problems in our life and maybe how we don't see God causes problems in our life. Maybe the, some of the issues we're having around um, how we interpreted people's behaviors, right, in a, in a religious setting with the concept of God existing in this religious setting, as we live life, we experienced what they said was God toward us, and in turn, it caused us problems. So someone else's definition becomes a voice in your head of what God is. Therefore, you see God as that particular voice. You don't understand God outside of the framework of what you were told maybe by your parents or by your friends or by people in your life that you trusted. Probably you shouldn't have trusted them with helping you conceptualize God since they had put no work or effort towards conceptualizing God for themselves or they should have led you to a process of at least having some kind of framework around how to conceptualize God for yourself versus telling you who God is you know a lot of people say they know God and I wrote this down the other day I was just writing some notes and I'm like how can you say you know someone whom you never seen right how can you say that? Man has, mankind, I mean, we have the most audacity. See, the, even in the Bible, it says something very clear. It's like, the, you know, he's like God, and it's God speaking, or it's Jesus speaking in this uh, Matthew 7, I think 24 or something like that, where he talks about Lord, Lord. Um, it's a, quoting the scripture now. Um, Lord, Lord, you know, have not we prophesied in thy name, you know, uh, cast out devils and 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 they're talking to they, there, there's this kind of like something being said here where where these people are coming to God and they're saying we've done all these great things for your name God and 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 God's like but I didn't know you and so God puts knowing him knowing you above your good works it's the knowing of him but the thing is notice how it's emphasized that God knows us not that we know God you know, there's phrases in the Bible that say we've and we've known God, and it doesn't mean that we've known God like I've had it like a, a actual, actually met him and have a relationship. You know, because that's a human concept. A human, a very human concept is the idea um, that we can integrate with one another, we can talk, we can speak. But then people come up with these ideas that they actually know God, and I'm like, if someone says they know God. First of all, I, I, I perceive that's a self-deception, number one. Um, I don't think that, I think you could have heard from God, but I know from a biblical perspective, no man has seen God at any time. Therefore, how could you really know him? Um, you, can, you can be familiar with his presence. You can be familiar with his essence. You can be familiar with his concepts and precepts, and you can be in love with him. It's this, it's this unknown entity and and it has in in and this unknown entity provides a finite way of understanding his infiniteness and he wants you to pursue that understanding 
because that understanding is for you to have because he created a finite way of understanding the infinite. You're not supposed to understand the infinite in an infinite way. It's impossible. You don't have access to infinite knowledge, to have infinite conclusions, to have infinite solutions, to have infinite understanding, to have infinite reaction to situations in life. We're finite. So there's a finite way. You know, and the thing that, the thing that in Christianity that I think is interesting is that you can believe in Jesus Christ and you don't have to know the rest of the Bible. You can have faith in what he did for you on the cross and it's separate from knowledge about him. That's the interesting thing with Christianity. One of the interesting things. Um, I'm sure other religions have their, their ideas about God. Um, I, like I said, I'm most familiar with Christianity, so I, I'm going to use that experience to kind of like navigate my conversations here. But this isn't necessarily just for the Christian. I really want to challenge um, people in in all categories of life at all different religions and have some of these higher level conversations. And I'm going to come with my own um, my own perception, but I'm also going to step outside that perception because I understand that people can see the same thing differently. Right. So now if God will play a game and it's going to be called the game of God. Okay. And, and when, when, and let me go back to the saying the God, God, most high or, or God, the most high, most high God, almighty God, God almighty, right? Uh, God almighty is El Shaddai. It's the, it's that phrase you've probably heard before in the song, like El Shaddai, El Shaddai. Um, El meaning Elah, it comes from Elohim. Um, and then Shaddai is the, is the almighty part. So, um, if God is almighty, like there's God and then there's the almighty God, right? Meaning he's above and beyond our concept of him. I think that's kind of what is inferred there. Cause if you think about God is enough, we have a concept of God. God is enough. We, we understand that if you go to textbook definitions of God, it's this, um, it's this, you know, this essence, the, the supreme being of existence, right? So we have to understand, I think on some level, if we're going to conceptualize God, we have to kind of use some of the concepts that already exist um, to kind of like find a way to move around in this framework of talking about the existence of God, right? So I thought, let's start from a more natural perspective then. Let's go to a natural perspective. Everything I'm about to say, I'm not saying I believe. I'm not saying it's true. But I want to navigate. I want to open up the doors to be able to help people and myself navigate thinking about God more. And really discovering if there's an intrinsic value to human beings through and through on believing in a God. So, you know, let's just say you're you're mad at God. You know, someone in your life uh, passed away. A few years ago, my dad went missing. My, per, my, my real dad, he went missing. And um, he disappeared, you know, and never found him till this day. So it's been over three years. And it being over three years, it's like, it's easy for me to say, like, you know, 
my dad's the person I love the most of the, in, in a physical form. He's the person I love the most. And I think that's why it was easier for me to like, you know, believe in God, you know, especially when he's presented as a father, it's like, especially being younger and my father not being around at certain times, it was easier for me to like, for some people, it's the opposite. It's like dad wasn't around. They don't, they don't, the idea of God as a father is kind of, nope. I'm, they'll, they'll kind of see it the same way. Um, won't trust it, you know? Um, that's not completely true through and through for everybody, but it's a, it's, it's, it's something that does happen. So I, I do want to acknowledge it. And some people get mad at God and, and angry at God. I've never been mad at God, not even for that, you know, and because you're taking, um, the, the infinite and you're, and you're blaming the infinite for the finite, you know, you're blaming the, inf you're, you're saying infinite, you are terrible. You are bad. Because what you did was you allowed this, you know, and then the finite is like, well, within the finite, this occurs. This is the game of the finite. You are born and you are integrated with people who are also autonomous. You're, you are also yourself autonomous. So then you have to be susceptible to the um, effects of other autonomous, autonomous beings, beings. And if you're susceptible to other autonomous beings, mean, and, and you're also finite, then your finiteness can be impacted by other autonomous beings. And that is very straightforward way of thinking about it without putting all the emotion. So there's a way to understand it that might set you free from your hate of God. That may that may make you not even believe in God, right? There's conclusions that you might come to and be like, oh, man, I definitely don't want God then. Because if you start really thinking about it, and you really associate things appropriately as you as you think about it. You 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 know you 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 partition things appropriately. Um, you'll find that there's not really much of God to blame. We're talking about God, and there might be to you. There there might be to you, and that's okay. That's something that I hope you work through. I hope that it's 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 thinking about God will help you work through it. That's the point. Um, so God Himself. Let's just let's just uh, let's just start from existence, the bottom. This is my cluster theory. Um, I don't necessarily believe it. I don't necessarily think it's true. But I came up with this like literally on my own, and then I was trying to find something that already demonstrated this, whether through a movie, whether through a show, whether through some kind of art form. So um, it took me a little while, but I found something. I found something that actually um, kind of like demonstrates it, you know, and it's in the Marvel universe, actually. I think it's pretty cool. So you'll kind of get what I'm talking about if you're into Marvel on any level. Once I start with my um, game of God theory or my cluster theory, so let's start this small, let's start in the basics, atoms, right? We look at atoms, atoms are small, they clustered up together, look at a plant, cell walls, clusters, right? Clusters, cell walls, they're, they're, it's clustered together. You think about objects, objects are built off things that are clustered together. Think about the cement, how it's made, it's made of different 
materials and, and they're mixed together and they're and they're grinded down to in a small way and 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 put together and they become clusters that create objects that create the ground we stand on that create houses that create cars that create right clusters now let's ascend one level human beings we're clusters you know we have one kid we create clusters we create trees look at our, our anatomy look at the way our veins grow like trees right interesting right it's, it's integrated there grow like, like like webs like roots it's so it's so crazy it's it spins out you got the center of your heart and then everything spins out in your nervous system like it's beautiful i think it's great and to the next level solar system planets right clusters again milky way right a galaxy clusters a universe clusters and maybe just maybe there's a god right who sits either at the center of the universe or atop it and i couldn't i couldn't this was what i was having problems with this because i was like is god in the cent is god the center of the universe or is God on top of the universe? And so the almighty God kind of got me thinking. I'm like, well, maybe he's the highest. That's the reason most high. He's the highest. So he sits at the highest point above all of it. So maybe there's God and then there's clusters of universes and then there's worlds. And then in the worlds are made up of small clusters of atoms that create the worlds. And that maybe there's multiple universes with multiple groups of people but if he's God, the cycle, not if he's God, talking about God, if he created a cycle of life, like the way, you know, um, the, the land falls beneath the sea, the volcanoes, the, the, the condensation, right? It's, it's different on every planet, if you notice that. But as far as a life-giving planet, there's a system that creates life. So if he created that system on other universe in other universes on other planets that would be quite that doesn't quite violate any religious notion per se right because maybe the challenge for each world is the same right and maybe god's proclivity is to create and if god's proclivity is to create why stop with earth if He's in fact God and he's omission. He's omnipresent. He's see these words, they're, they're made, but they're made up words to describe something infinite, but in a finite way. Right? So if God is at atop the universe and he has these different earths, let's just give it like that, like a multiverse theory, right? All these earths, because things are done in a finite way, because the only thing that's infinite is God, but God speaks and breathes life into man, meaning that he takes part of his infiniteness and he creates. He speaks and it creates. He breathes and it creates. And it creates a brand new eternal essence. Okay? 
why would it have to be eternal? Well, because if God is infinite, then the essence would also be if infinite. If he breathes it in an infinite way, which is kind of what the Bible says. And, you know, I think even I would say Islam believes believes in the in the infiniteness of the spirit, like eternity, the idea of eternity. Right. So would you say that that essence is God? No. But it's from God. Right. But maybe in God's dimension of knowledge, right? Because wisdom and knowledge are human experiences. Those are attributes for humans, not for God. Um, the wisdom of God, that's why his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That's a pretty common belief, I would say, through any religion that actually is uh, monotheistic and has a supreme God, right? It's the idea that that, that, that being is far, far and high above us. And so if God's proclivity is to create, and maybe he did it in multiple earths, right? Let's just go, let's just play with the multiverse theory, right? That's why I said Marvel kind of has um, um, some of this down. But the game of God or the, the cluster theory is is not, the game of God aspect of what I'm going to say is probably more um, where this, uh, the Marvel comes in. But um, this is just kind of a little bit of the, the multiverse theory is kind of mixed in with the cluster theory um, that I'm talking about. And it's crazy that someone actually conceptualized that. Think about it. Someone conceptualized this. Multiple Earths, right? <laughs> and then you have all these superpowered beings. And then on top of the superpowered beings, there's celestials. And on top of the celestials, there's something else, right? There's something else that's <laughs> it's, it's the system creating gods that monitor worlds that keep things in order it's a crazy concept now here's the interesting part about all this um what are the rules what are the rules for god is there any rules for god you know so i started playing the game of god and this is just like okay we have god he creates, he creates autonomous life. He starts off present in fullness, but diminishes involvement over time. This is kind of like how the Bible is structured. Um, longer lives were uh, were given, like life was a lot longer in the beginning. If you believe from a Bible perspective, from a, I think even Jewish Islamic um, perspectives, they would believe the same. Uh, longer lives to start are autonomous life, and it can affect other autonomous lives. So, and I, I, I kind of threw this one in there that the measure of godlike attributes in humans start to show as we get older, as our mortality fails. It's possible, not saying every older person is, is wise or knows everything, but it seems as though um, as people get older, they they call what we ma mature is what we call it. But it seems like as they begin to die and get closer to mortality, um, they're able to focus on more of the more important ideals. It's just a natural proclivity for humans. It doesn't mean everybody does it. 
because you could live the same year over and over and never really grow out of your problems and situations, right? But especially if you're a person who believes in growth and in, in nurturing growth in yourself, I think you'll find yourself as you get older, uh, definitely more wise, more knowledgeable, right? Because because of time, time takes its effect on you in a positive way, and you're able to learn more, know more, conceptualize more, have a stronger basis of your thinking, right? But as more, but your the consequences that your mortality is already failing, so you're not able to physically do what you would be able to do if you had all that knowledge when you were maybe 20, right? So it's an interesting thing that that's something I noticed as well. Um, and it's interesting to see kind of this process. God creates Thomas life, right? So I, I kind of played with some rules that rules that might exist that we don't know exist, right? Is that maybe God can't create life without giving it meaning. So our human concept of God would say that can't is not a word for God. But play with me. Play with this. Play with this idea with me. Play with this idea in your mind and, and, and try to stay open. So God can't create life without giving it meaning. So if you create something, you give it a purpose, right? That's that's where we're very much like God, our human concept of God. So maybe God can't create life without actually giving it meaning. And the only way to give it meaning is to give it a free will and to put obstacles in the way. And the free will has to be harnessed to overcome the obstacles, okay? And that's why, biologically speaking, it seems that we find so much satisfaction in our lives and we're probably closer to happiness when we find something worth sacrificing our time for. When we find something worth devoting our lives to, it seems that we find more happiness in that. We're, we're, we're less affected by suffering when we have meaning at the center of our being and our pursuit. So it's interesting that human beings thrive when, they're, when, they, when, they, when they have the intrinsic, uh, when they have an intrinsic value that drives what they do. So, and here's another rule maybe. God can't create autonomous life unless it can also die and pay for its bad. Ooh, that's a weird one, right? I kind of threw that one in there because I was kind of just conceptualizing something. And um, if God creates autonomous life, there ha maybe there's a consequence for that autonomy. Maybe there has to be a consequence for that autonomy. And that means that if you use your autonomy for bad, inevitably, death is your end, is the end of when you're, when you are able to stop making bad choices. So there has to be an end to this autonomy, this finite autonomy. Because, again, we got to separate the infinite from the finite. So this is a finite autonomous life. Like, it's not a, 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 um, a infinite autonomous life. The spirit might be an infinite 
autonomous life. But since we're created in physical bodies, if you believe that sort of thing, um, then your autonomous aspect is limited to time, which is very interesting, which is interesting in the Bible how you see um, age decrease over time. People stop living long. And it's almost like God says in like, okay, once you reach one, about 120, you that's about the number that you need to be able to win the game of life. And winning the game is dying. And the only way you win when you die is if you were associated with with your religion. Let's just say if you're you know Muslim, so you, you were associated and you lived in the the honor of the code. And if you're Christian, you lived in the honor of the code. And if you're Jewish, you lived in the honor of the code. If you're Hindu, you lived in the honor of the code. If you're Buddhist, you lived in the honor of the code, right? There's a code. There's a there's a there's a there's a standard. There's the there's the law. There's there's the rules, right? And if and if religion is from God, and what man has done with it is obviously terrible, right? Which mankind and our finiteness and our not knowing, we take something that we don't know and we say we know it and then we we use it for our gain that's how human beings destroy religion um, and make it bondage and, and make it destructive for people but when you break it down it's like if god gave man religion which is just how you're supposed to acknowledge the highest being right how 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 the highest being would prefer prefer and demand you respond that's religion. And you can use your autonomous life for that if you want. And the reward of that is God granting you infinite autonomous life. So if if infinite autonomous life is appealing to you, then God might be for you. Because regardless of the nuances of what heaven is and, and, and if there's a heaven and if there's a hell, if I believe in a religion and the religion says this and I do what the religion says and I follow it and, 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 and I honor it and I live my life in a sincere way towards it and, and, and that is a reward that I can take my autonomous finite life and sacrifice it for an infinite autonomous life would you want to do that and i think that's what religion is offering even if it's different than what i believe christianity even if it's different than christianity like i think those religions also offer the same thing this infinite autonomous life which gives somebody meaning which makes somebody put effort towards, you know, which would make someone put effort towards religion. So I think if God creates autonomous life, it has to also be able to die. Now, Adam and Eve didn't start off having having to die. It was a consequence of their disobedience to the ultimate infinite autonomous life, which would be known as God. Autonomous meaning that it has a will of its own. It can do what it wants to do, and it works on its own. You don't have to tell it anything, right? So um, it's not like God is telling you when to poop, when to pee. No, the body already is structured that way so that it can operate in an autonomous way. And 
here's another one. Here's another rule. Making life might be making a God. How we know and understand God, it almost seems that's what God is offering. If you follow this, here's infinite autonomous life with me. Where you won't be subject to the moral um, the moral struggle of finiteness. Being finite creates a problem for people. Is that there's an end. There's an expiration. And then there's consequence. There's you input, you have a system, and then there's output. Whatever's output determines how much oftentimes a person feels like they're suffering and how much you feel like you're suffering affects you. And, and most of that is perception. Uh, uh, some of it is physical. So do people actually are, well, pain, like you can't say if, you know, someone gets cut, it's not going to hurt. Pain is pain and it, it makes you feel finite. You can be hurt. You can be dead. You can, you know, you can die. And then that humility Knowing that, knowing, all well knowing there's an infinite aspect to you, but subjecting your physicality, your physical body to the ultimate good of your promised position to be in the infinite world as an infinite being with potentially an autonomy, man, that might be cool. And maybe... That's what the book is trying to incentivize, is trying to demonstrate this, but it has to be sought out because part of being an autonomous being is that it's not going to just present itself to you. You have a will to go and research and, and, and understand what is going on inside of you, and you can dedicate yourself to that. You can dedicate yourself to the physical body and pleasing it. So... Maybe, just maybe, this, this cluster theory leads to a supreme being that monitors all the clusters it creates, and then if it creates something that's finite, right, something that's finite, it gives it the opportunity to live its its eternity its eternal aspect out autonomously or not autonomously and not autonomously is what we would call hell cuz even if you don't believe in heaven or hell let's just say how you live your life affects your eternity and if you live it bad then you have no you have an eternal infinite non-autonomous life and then if you're follow and you have faith right then you have an infinite autonomous life with God. So it's interesting, right? I don't know. Maybe this is helpful. Maybe this, because when we think about our suffering, suffering is a result of decay. The world is dying. The sun is dying. The soul is, there's a system of death and being, and then a, a, a being reborn, black holes, you know, Recently, they've discovered there might be something at the end of a black hole, which is the start of a new potential world. And if God has autonomously set up the universe 
to self-replicate, meaning to self to destroy itself and then to rebuild itself, um, people would say, well, that's an evil God. That's an evil God from a finite perspective, right? But let me ask you something. Have you ever played a game of disqualification where you had to disqualify? Why is that fun for people? Why is that fun? Why is that fun for us to do to like be able to determine who goes and who stays? I don't know. I feel like that's a, it's kind of like intrinsic. Uh, maybe there's some psychology out there for it. I don't know. But thinking about this, sorry. Thinking about this, I found myself like if we like that game where does that come from? And I'm not saying that God is playing a game of elimination with us, but but we do that with each other. You know, who's going to die next? You know, this is happening in real wars. Who's going to you ever seen a movie? Who's going to die next? Like we love to show that in movies. It's weird. It's a weird thing. Elimination. Elimination is so human that it could be I don't know, maybe it could be an aspect of God in us, that God does differentiate things and that once you're autonomous, you pay the consequence for your autonomy and what you choose to do with it. You see? And in that, that could look like from a finite perspective of game of a game of disqualification, of elimination, right? But maybe from an eternal perspective, it's not. Maybe from it's 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 actually appropriate from an eternal, infinite perspective. It's appropriate to let finite beings make their own choices and let them choose whether or not they want to dedicate their lives to the Creator in exchange for infinite, autonomous life, or for something else. It's not their fault they were created. Yes, let's agree on that. I agree. It's not our fault we were created. In our case, in my case, it's my parents' fault, right? <laughs> but as far as Adam and Eve, or as far as like the beginning of creation, it's not our fault. But when you're given autonomy, it doesn't matter whose fault it is. It matters what you do with your autonomy, right? It's like a business. If you start a business, and it, that's what I'm saying. Why does so many earthly things relate to this? Why do so many humanistic, finite things relate to uh, trying to conceptualize and understand God? Not because God, I don't think God is meant to be understood or conceptualized at all. But I think that it's appropriate for us to actually do some discovery and use, you know, there actually is a scripture in the Bible that says that things that are made are, are representations of the invisible. So the, the, the things that are made are clearly underseen, uh, understood and seen. I can't remember the verse. I used to have it like I think it's Romans 120 from the from the for the invisible things from the creation of the world for the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen and understood through the things that are made or by the things that are made. That's the quote. Um, so the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen and understood by the things that are made. That's what the Bible says. It's agreeing 
And this has just been challenging to me, you know? So I created this um, little thing here. Um, God, does God's need, does God need or want or have a want to make mankind? Does God have a creative proclivity, you know? And then with that proclivity, he has to make things fair from an eternal perspective. For the, It's not for your finite life that it's fair. It's for your eternal life that it's fair. It's for your infinite autonomous life that you have, that he has to fairly allow you to have a chance to use your finite autonomous life to have entry into your infinite autonomous life. You know, um, I don't know. This is, this is just, <laughs> I got some more rules. Let's go over some more rules real quick. So, autonomous life must find the greatest humility to receive godhood. That could be one of the rules. In order for that, us to become infinite, we have to find the greatest humility. Because if we were already in the essence of God, we're, we're his breath, right? So this is us separated from God. We're, we're his breath. We're, we, we're breathed out. Um, and then we're put into a finite setting, but we have an infinite aspect to us. That Jesus would be the perfect example of this, actually, now thinking about it. That that finite, and I think this is why he's the greatest example in all history, right? Like, like maybe take away the, the, the spiritual aspects too, but like just even in the demonstration of his character and, and, and how he acted and what he did. And, and let's just say it's even just a story. It's one of the most noblest stories on the planet. I don't believe it's just a story, but it's like, think about like, why write that story, right? That's a crazy story. Um, it just keeps you, keeps you on your toes from beginning to end. Um, so Jesus goes through the most humbling thing a person could go through, ridicule, betrayal, uh, 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 death, uh, 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 dying a slow death, nonetheless, um, being disrespected, hated, um, even from people that said they love him, uh, like every aspect of what he went through in his suffering led to this greatest humility to be able to pay the way for man to receive their infinite autonomous life. So if I'm a Christian, let's go from a Christian perspective, and I believe in Jesus, then I'm believing he paid the price for my infinite autonomous life. And that as a byproduct of that, if I truly understand that, then the natural byproduct nature will demonstrate a life of gratitude that I'm already going to, I'm going to still, even though it's paid for, I'm going to still act and live in a way that is worthy of this autonomous life. Maybe, maybe, just maybe. And the thing is, it's like, can you have one without the other? I don't think so. I think you need, I think you actually need to believe in, like truly believe. I don't, and whatever that means, that that's intense. That That's a... That's a really transformative thing if you think about it. Like to understand your own depravity and your inability to achieve 
infinite autonomous life on your own and then let another person who went through the most humbling experience to achieve it for you and then to actually believe that i think um a character transformation is a good result is a natural result you know it's just it's just like if you plant a tree and you do the good things like give it sun and you water it and you you do it timely you take you take it uh into account the environment right it's like and the tree grows and if you don't do that the tree dies you see what i'm saying like and then it bears fruit and then you can eat the fruit so the the fruit would be the the good character that other people can enjoy being around you because you have a quality character you're loyal you're you're respectful you're honorable you're you're loving you're kind you're generous you know um those are the fruits of the tree that are planted under the firm foundation of understanding that somebody else qualified you for an infinite autonomous life that you were going to try and achieve on your own. And that's where I think most religions are, this Christianity is different from other religions because with, with, with the, with the game in, within the Jewish, and I call it a game, not to be mockery. It's a, it's a game just to understand it, that there's rules, right? Just to bring in the fact that there's rules. The rules say you have to earn your infinite autonomous life. And then some people say there's no infinite autonomous life. This is a waste. And I think that's where most other religions teach you self-mastery as a form of achieving infinite autonomous life. As far as like afterlife, right? Or the reward of following a religion. So that's interesting. And then here's another rule. If autonomous life fails to learn... Uh, life's humility it must autonomously pay the consequence for eternal beings so um there's a maybe there's a consequence for eternal beings and if you're an eternal being like you and i are and you believe that and you believe you have a spirit and it's it's eternal um that that part of you has to pay a price for how you choose to use your fine finite autonomous life interesting wouldn't you say so um it's just, it's it's just oh man this stuff is so fun for me to think about and talk about you know um i even did like a little chart um like of you know our god's strengths got man's exact weaknesses and i was kind of thinking about that like our god's strengths Man, man's exact weaknesses like god gives life that's one of his strengths right we say that as a positive like life if something ends in life we're always going to associate that positively i don't know why it seems very intrinsic though um but man has uh in a finite way has in his finiteness has one death but god can give infinite life like that's kind of like a true opposite like the most opposite you can be you know versus saying that god gives life man has life right that's another kind of opposite but um god procri procri proclivity for light and good that's his that's him he's good right uh he's light uh, us proclivity for dark and bad like we're nihilistic we're uh hopeless we're in despair and we we're, we're naturally negative mostly negative but um there's an aspect of us that has the ability um, to be positive, of course, which, you know, we tap into that, that has to be nurtured. And if it's nurtured, it's very productive in the world and it's helpful, right? Um, God's infinite, we're finite. God's perfect, we're flawed. 
no, I didn't finish it, but I was just kind of like getting into um, in, into this, and and it just it's just it's so cool, you know. And I think one of the last things I kind of had like um, it's so weird that man, in in I'm not sure how this fits in per se, but it fits in there somewhere. How man's natural proclivities become an an individual man's proclivities become that man's utopia and it's interesting how that it's different for every person because everybody feeds themselves differently you know and they feed themselves different information and different um they just feed themselves differently so um what is important to them is different oftentimes but um you know with government bodies like obviously those are structures that help um narrate and guide how people should think about good and bad religious you know um um religious groups also help point that and it, it's generalized through the whole world that it's not good to kill people right or it's not good to steal like if it's not yours it's not good to violate someone else's will that's a bad thing that's always a bad thing and so it's interesting that um mankind in, in themselves have ideas of utopia um but based on finite pleasures and realities, you know, and the challenge for man is to really see past the the fog of their own um, frailty and and having pride in it to see that if you somehow transcend that, what's next? And 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 for me, it's God, and for you, it might not be. And, and if it's not for you, then what is it? I wonder what it is. Like, tell me, is it a, and, and in some way, it's going to be a concept of God. It just, it just kind of comes down to that. And, and whether or not you want to call it God or not, it's, it's going to be something bigger than you all the time, every time. Once you transcend uh, the, the necessity to fulfill every whim of your body, um, every whim of every emotion you have, and, and to try to fulfill those emotions and to fulfill those, those, um, you know, desires, it's like, what's next? What transcends that? And, and and it's like, hmm, where does that lead you to your, in your mind? You know, and if you can take all of this and make something of it positive, um, I'm more than happy to um, keep doing these, you know. But anywho, I do hope you have a great day, um, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation, you know, like, I'm literally having this conversation with myself, so I'm just thinking out loud, and um, I, I do have some structure of what I want to say, but this is also for me as much as it is for um, helping open people's minds to thinking about things um and expanding their ideas, you know, because oftentimes you can literally um, maybe go to go to church, go to mosque and go to a uh, synagogue and you show up there and you can expect you're expecting something. You come with the idea. Um, and the last idea that I think people come to church with or come to is that they're going to actually have a meaningful connection with God. Um the infinite God of the universe, 
by showing up to a building one time a week for two hours. Like, that's kind of insane to think that that's going to happen. Um, I think so. But when you have faith, it's it's not insane. It's actually very practical because it's a part of what this infinite being is asking you to do, right? So it's, it's so interesting just having, you can have different perspectives on the same thing, you know? And um, I, I think this is helpful for people who have had uh, religious trauma to open up their minds and, and, and to keep a purity about it though, you know, this isn't opening your mind and, and, and as a, this isn't a place to let out your aggression, you know, opening your mind is not a place to just be like argumentative and, 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 and very much what's the opposite of objective, right? It's like very much just your way or the highway, you know, you're, um, you're the authority on what's true and not true. When in reality, faith should be more about like Brittany Brown said one thing one time, she's a, a, um, a doctor, one of the, you know, I think a social psychologist, something like that. Um, and she says something one time that, that it seems weird that religion has become more about knowing than faith and mystery. And religion seems to be at its prime when it's curious and it seems to be at its, um, she didn't say this last part. I, I, I'm just kind of asserting that in there as well. It's like thinking that religion is at its prime when it's most curious, when it's researching, when it's, think about it. There was no new Testament when, um, Jesus was alive, right? There was no new Testament when the, the, um, the apostles or the disciples of Jesus, um, after he died and they started writing the scriptures, like, there wasn't no New Testament yet, and somehow they already had a foundation of truth about what they believed and what Christianity was. Um, I find that very interesting, you know what I mean? Like, that they preached their Christianity from actually just the Old Testament. And so, um, and they espoused on the Old Testament in their writings on 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 how these things are, are now to be interpreted with Christ at the center. And, you know, it's just, it's just... It's just interesting. It's it's opening your mind. It's 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 leaving the aggression at home, and just thinking about things, whether or not you believe them, and trying to find conclusions that lead to good things like more peace. Finding conclusions about some of your pain points, and and and, and maybe it it. It trigger one one thing I say could trigger like multiple thoughts in your own head, and boom, it makes sense to you now, and you're able to um, conceptualize your pain in a better way that leads you to actually maybe doing something to impact the world um, in the framework of your pain, like in that category where you suffered, right? Because you're experienced in it, and um, so yeah, let's keep this going. All right, guys. Take care.